Chapter Thirty Four of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Chapter Thirty Four. Lucinda is wed. The campaign was afoot. Rupert broke out of Oxford and made a swift foray across the Midlands. Sir Thomas Fairfax, a man of method, bade his new model army draw together upon Thame, so the lieutenant-general set a strong post in Abingdon and moved northward. Now the new model, which sought to provide itself with the newest inventions of the art of war, had got a great regiment of dragooners. There were few of the Puritans knew clearly what a dragooner ought to be or do. The commissary-general, who mistrusted them profoundly, saw in them a happy way to dispose of Colonel Royston. He might, being a veteran, know how to use them. If so, well, they might, being neither fish, flesh, nor good red herring, go down in a notable ruin, and that would not be all ill either. So it is, as major of the lieutenant's dragooners, the weedy men on cobs with red coats, and no armor nor helmet, but a sword and dragon apiece, that you see Royston ride into Thame. His men were half trooper, half musketeer, and the scorn of both, but Royston liked them well enough. They were ne'er-do-wells, not saints. The strenuous, godly souls chose regiments they understood. Royston had what was left, the fellows who wanted not salvation, but sport and eighteen pence a day. He understood them. With them he could make himself a place. The world was going well with him again. He had a cynic laugh at circumstance. Honest friendship brought him nothing but ill. A nasty treason set him on the way to fortune and pleasure. For there was pleasure, keen pleasure, that whipped his sense and mind in Lucinda. Her hot passion, ay, and her strength that strove fierce against him still, and the pain he saw her feel bore him a storm of delight. She was utterly desirable in her yearning and her scorn. A wild woman who longed for him and loathed him at once, made fit food for his desperate soul. She was one now. He rode into Thame on a May morning that sparkled with frost to possess her. The mass of trees about the grey square tower were gay in their new dress, gold and white and grey as the wind played and a hundred dainty shades of green. Royston sent his men to their tents in the fields, southward of the little town, and strode away. Lucinda was lodged in the overhanging upper rooms of a new house by the grammar school. She kept him waiting a while, and when she came from her bedchamber, surprised him by her somberness. She was all dark gray. "'The Puritan bride, sir,' quoth she with a mocking curtsy. "'Say you so, then I pity you.' "'Well,' she looked at him long, then gave a reckless laugh. "'Oh, eh, we are fit mates.' "'You flatter me,' said Royston, as he gave her his arm. Together, silent, they made their way to the church, little heeded in the bustle of the gathering army. But on a sudden Lucinda checked and faltered. Royston, looking down, saw her face all crimson. "'It is nothing. It is a faintness,' she gasped, and for a moment hung heavy on his arm. Through the throng she had seen a lilting gait that she remembered and was aware of shame but her heart played false. She knew, she knew, that it could not be he. Angry, with head erect, she went on her way. Royston had not seen. In the doorway of the mayor's house, David Stowe made way for Joan, 
and turning saw the bride. He made an exclamation. Surely there are some there that we know, quoth he. Joan saw and was white. I, I do not understand, she said unsteadily. Nay, but I must, said David Stowe, and turned from the house of his lady and went after them, and Joan followed him. The wind was blowing free through the great church, for the glass of its best windows had been beaten out by savory souls, zealous to destroy the works of Baal when they rabbled the vicar. On the steps of the choir, Mr. Hugh Peters, Cromwell's warrior chaplain, awaited them in gown of Geneva and bands. Save for him the church was empty. "'Gird up your loins,' he cried. "'You come to a godly work,' and added a joke kindly enough but something broad. Upon the mere wedding he wasted little time. It was a bluff question of peace, and a hearty, "'I pronounce you man and wife before the living God.' Mr. Peters was not a man of ceremonies, but he valued himself as a preacher, and that he had but one or two gathered together before him was never any restraint. Lucinda had to hear a history of matrimony from its origin, illuminated by the leading cases of Bathsheba, Jezebel, and Henrietta Maria, which later became a homily and an exhortation on wifely duties, distinguished by solid sense rather than delicacy. It is likely that Royston was amused. There was a grim humor mingled even in his passions. But Lucinda had nothing of that, and her heart was raging, that this ruddy parson should dare to school her like a milkmaid. Cherish and obey, quotha. The Lord loveth a goodly housewife, the godly rearing of children. Her eyes flamed at Mr. Peters, her hands clinched and unclinched nervously. And Mr. Peters smiled upon her, and spoke with some unction of a maid's fears. Lucinda was hot with a wrath she scarce understood. There was a questioning wonder in the eyes that flamed. True, he was a gross, insolent fool, but that should not suffice to move her so. He promised her passion the burdens of common life, the dull daily labors of women of no account. Bah! It was ludicrous. But what matter for such anger? Why, because it filched the glamour and joy from her desires. She sought a wild reign of sensation, and he foretold her dull wifehood, the life of a slave. Service of Royston. Was that to be her lot, to be spent in motherhood? She turned upon Royston with a fierce stare of hate, and seeing the placid sneer on his full lips, broke out in ugly laughter. It alarmed Mr. Peters, who, a man of charity, conceived her overwrought by the fears of maidenly modesty and his own eloquence, and cut the latter short. He took them apart to sign his book. The registers of the church had vanished with the exiled vicar. "'I dismiss you to joy,' said he. "'But let not your private joys make you sleepy in the service of the Lord.' "'I'll assure you they shall not,' said Lucinda, and laughed again. Royston thrust her arm through his with a masterful gesture, and bore her off at a gate too fast for grace. From behind a pillar of the nave came a neat man of middle size. Royston checked heavily, with a thud and clatter of spur and sword, and a booming oath. Lucinda was struggling to be away from him, for surely it was Colonel Stow. "'Pray, sir, have you any tidings of my brother?' said David Stow. "'Good morrow, and well met,' said Royston heartily. Did you know my wife when she was a maid? David Stowe saluted. I have heard much and heard less than the truth, I think, he said, 
and his grave eyes rested on Lucinda. Lucinda made him a curtsy, and Royston, giving room for her skirts, stepped aside and saw Joan Normandy. Ha! Here is an old affection. Yes, my dear, Jerry is very well. Lucinda, starting at the tone, turned to see the girl blush to her brow. The two women gazed at each other, and Lucinda saw wonder and pity. "'I thought you and Jerry so close friends,' said David Stowe, in grave level tones. "'Why, friends we are still, I hope,' said Royston, with a laugh. "'Jerry found his account with the king, and I could not. Faith, sir, the more I know the king's cause, the worse I like it. Jerry had another mind, but I will uphold his honesty.' "'You are very good, sir.' Well, the truth is I sought a cleaner standard, and owing no faith to the king, was free to seek. I would that Jerry were of my mind, or I could be of his. Well, it is life. And Mistress Royston came with you from Oxford to share it? Why, Madame could not endure the license of the court, and— There was none to protect her? There was none to whom she could give the right but me, said Royston with dignity. David Stowe looked keenly from one to the other. I give you joy of to-day, he said, and stood aside to let them pass. Lucinda, as she swept by, saw the wonder in Joan's face, blent with joy. David Stowe turned from watching them back to Joan. Shall we be gone, madame? But he saw that she did not hear. He saw her eyes. Joan was left in the great church alone. Heavy of foot, silent, Lucinda was borne to her lodging. Royston looked down at her with a mocking smile, but he did not understand. Fear dulled her heart. She was bound by the new dread of a jealous hate. If Colonel Stowe should fall to another woman's breast, if he should find happiness so, then was her fate intolerable. That Puritan girl dared love him, and it might be, while she was Royston's toy. Come to her lodging, safe in the upper room, Royston caught her greedily. Her lips were cold. End of chapter 34